You are listening to a Core Awareness Seminar by Liz Cook. Her website is www.coreawareness.com. That's C-O-R-E awareness.com. Please note that Core Awareness is a trademark signature of Liz Cook, her workshops, seminars, books, and CDs. The information presented in the seminar is in no way intended as a substitute for receiving professional medical care. The design and purpose of the seminar is to provide information and to simply educate. The author and publisher shall have neither liability nor responsibility to any person or entity with respect to any loss, damage, or injury caused or alleged to be caused directly or indirectly by the information, suggestions, explorations, or exercises contained within the seminar or written in response to the seminar. The author is not a medical authority, and she is not qualified to diagnose or prescribe any therapy. The information is simply her personal opinion. Please seek medical care for whatever condition you may have. Welcome uh, to my podcast series, Core Awareness. Uh, Daryl Sanchez, who's a doctor, Daryl Sanchez, PhD, LPC, and is a licensed somatic psychotherapist, certified advanced rolfer, rolf movement practitioner, cranial sacral therapist, certified somatic experiencing practitioner and former trainer and professional dance instructor and performer. Daryl has, has been studying, practicing, teaching, and performing in the movement and healing arts since 1974. And what I'm finding fascinating about his work is the common thread that he has uh, woven into creative transformation or experiencing the whole person, which is why uh, Daryl, I wanted so much to have you come and speak to me because my work with uh, with the SOAS is what kind of made me known. But my work is actually, I'm a conceptual artist and uh, not a body worker. And I came into this work uh, through perception, through consciousness, through recognizing that movement changes the way I see the world, the way I feel myself, the way I experience life. And I became fascinated. And I just happened to drop into a moment with a man named Bob Cooley, who came out of the dance world, who was looking at that moment in time as a dancer, what were, where, where injuries were actually being you know, caused from, or where were they originating from? And he, in that moment, when I met him, was in the psoas area of going, you know, movements coming from the core. So I might be hurting my ankle, but really the movement is coming from my core. So he was exploring psoas and I happened to meet him at that moment. And I found the work of uh, what I call now core awareness to be instrumental in uh, creating a healthier Liz. So, um, so in those years, which is about 45 years, I have come to um, 
recognize something that you are speaking to and that you created a tool for enhancing the, the tuning board. And I, I bought one, I think in 2018, and I don't even know how it showed up in my field, but I saw it and I went, ooh, not only is it beautiful and just, you know, it's just gorgeous design, fits lovely in my studio, um, but aesthetically, but I'm curious, I'm curious what it would do. And so I started playing with it more as um, uh, a sensory experience, more of like, could I find my bones? Could I stay in a fluid tissue? But then uh, recently I listened to the um, somatic psychology community asking you lots of questions about how it changes or helps trauma and trauma responses and the brain. And that was fascinating because all of a sudden I started exploring that uh, brainstem and the reptilian brain that SOAS is part of and playing with that whole relationship. So you said many things that I agree with. And so I'd like to begin our conversation with, a, with this idea of fluid verticality. Because I work with fluid a lot on the floor, you know, hydrating uh, tissue, opening connective tissue, finding connection to bone by simply grounding and, and the fluidity of bone. And so I'm in the fluid world, you know, I studied and taught with Emily Conrad and, you know, her work kind of gave me a avenue into movement in a way that wasn't orchestrated or wasn't uh, about fitness. It was biomorphic, it was life. It was how life moves. Right. And I love what you bring in. So I'm gonna let you just tell me whatever you wanna tell me about fluid verticality. Well, uh, one of my um, most important trainings is, is as a rolfer. And as if most people, I think, know that Ida Rolf was all about verticality. She pretty much described that um, balanced function comes from a balanced structure in the field of gravity. And the way uh, she was um, describing it was that uh, that relationship is not a fixed state. Um, we have a vertical posture that we are by design, by, by human design, are uh, impelled and compelled to express. And that's uh, seen quickly when we watch children, when they roll over and lift their heads and then come to sitting and then come to standing. You know, it's like uh, we don't spend a lot of time being horizontal, we're, we're always trying to orient, get our heads over our feet, over the spine, over the pelvis, and orient to the world from, from a position of verticality. So she was describing that and um, how we get there through her work. And for her, posture was not a fixed state. So we can be vertical, but not fixed. So what that means is, we're always making adjustments 
in gravity and we have a relationship with gravity, a movement relationship with gravity that's always happening. Um, even the kinesiologists will describe uh, posture as making fine adjustments continually in gravity. And so when you, when you think about what that means, what does it mean when we're in vertical posture in gravity making fine adjustments all the time? Well, to me, that's, that's, that's a movement state. Uh, posture is always adjusting and refining and responding and sensing and feeling from that point of view. So um, to me, that's, that's what I've come to call the dance with gravity. We're always in that very deep, intimate dance with gravity all the time, feeling, being, moving, perceiving, and uh, being with. So um, let me let me challenge you a little bit here, or or, or okay. deepen our conversation. So uh, forty five so years ago, um, I was teaching in San Francisco, and I saw my first student walk in, and I said, "What happened to you?" and uh, he said, I've been wrong. And I had all kinds of images about uh -huh. what that might mean. That was my first introduction. And when I wrote my little pamphlet, which was uh, requested by my students about SOAS, um, I criticized Ida Rolf. So I don't know if you know that about me, but um, um, okay. I, 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 um, I was adamant that what I was seeing I didn't like what I was seeing. I saw the person opened up in a way that to me felt kind of like being filleted. Um, I saw something disrupted in their system. And so I've been a, I've been a person who has stayed very far away from uh, and, and challenged the Roth concept of uh, palpation, specifically the deep levels of psoas. And I did that for several reasons. One is that I was reframing what SOAS meant and, and through my own sensory system, because at that time, and maybe still, people think of the spine as a column and the body as static through the, the paradigm of biomechanics. Right. And so SOAS was being recruited as part of that stabilizing, that that what we now call core strength. And I was seeing it misused, overused, abused, and I was tracking SOAS. And as I became more familiar with the dynamics of this very fluid tissue, and at that time there was nothing about connective tissue in the bigger uh, research, right? And availability of information. I didn't know what I was saying, but I, I got even to the point years later of saying, you know, I don't think psoas is a muscle. I, I think it's a messenger of the axis of this relationship to gravity, of this, what I would call coherency of the system. How is it landing and locating? How are we showing up in space and time? And what does that really mean in regard to safety in the sense of not protection, but responsiveness? So, so as I, I developed my work, it was later that I connected to uh, uh, embryology. And when I was introduced to embryology, 
it was like, oh my God, this is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about as body, not as something static. So, you know, my, my book, Stalking Wild, is about changing the language of body from object to process, to living tissue, right? And that's what you're speaking to. And, and so it's, it's a dynamic in which for people to change that conversation, because posture to them is often structuring the system in some way to create more stability, more safety, but you're really speaking about the free flow of information that is happening through this fluid responsiveness to gravity. Yes, and not in a, not a fixation way. It's, yes. it's what you're describing. In other words, this is one of the things that prompted me to get to do the tuning board was, okay, if I'm horizontal and I can feel all this nice fluid motion and you know, gravity isn't, is, is, I have a different relationship to gravity. But once I, once I accept the fact that, well, my, my nervous system is really um, uh, designed to be, have my head over my feet, and this is what we're doing, you know, developmentally. Okay, we have to, to me, I'm saying to myself, well, we have to accept that and, and work with it, but not forsaking all that beautiful movement that we found, right? Well, back in 74, when I think you first encountered Rolfing, there, there was not a lot of um, movement kind of awareness at the level you're talking about. Some of the practitioners were trying to bring it in, Judith Aston, I think, for, for example, before my time. Judith Aston was um, Ida Rolf's movement teacher, but yes. she came out of the dance world. Yes. And so to her movement was spirals. It was responsiveness. It was gravity. It was fluid. And eventually Ida, you know, said, you're doing something different than I am. And, you know, they, they went their separate ways. And so I was introduced to uh, Judith's work very early on in that time. Yeah. yeah, good. That's great. I don't know what happened with Judith and Ida, um, but there was something that didn't quite seem to, to fit together. Mm -hmm. But around that time and after Judith, uh, there were people coming in from, from the dance world. Yeah. And I was one of them, actually. Yeah. Not, not as early as some of the others, but when I brought my dance experience into the rolfing, I mean, that's what got me rolfing in the first place was being a dancer. So um, as it evolved and I was getting more into the, to the structural understanding of things, uh, I didn't, I still wanted to keep that that experience of movement yeah. going, right? To me, it wasn't about you just get the structure in a fixed position and everything is fine. Um, there was more to it than that for me in terms of a movement perspective. So then the question is, okay, well, once we have this verticality where we put our spines vertically in the field of gravity, well, then what? And so that's where the everything that you're talking about with the, the the sensory information and the flow and what we're picking up and you know just the nature of how life moves. Yes. So, so one of the things that I I I came to and I teach when I say people misuse the psoas is well then what is the psoas? And I I would say I I like to think of it as more as an organ of perception, so that rather than think of it muscularly. 
because I think most people have exhausted psoas and dry psoas. I think of it as an organ of perception in which it's informing us. And its message to me is the neurology, is, is my nervous system, all my nervous systems, and the orchestration of my nervous system, and uh, proprioception, specifically skeletal proprioception. So I just loved when you started talking about the ankle and, and, you know, because to me, if the ankle can't glide, you can't get the head over the ankle. And so you're, you're kind of falling back or you're way forward or you can't locate what I call locate. And, and um, you know, the conversation around your heart being over your pelvis. So, you know, this is a relationship that to me says healthy psoas has psoas that's not being engaged but is simply informing me or playing part of that subtle conversation with gravity that is about grounding and then finding that rebound or that responsiveness of Earth. I mean, I, I love the way you're talking about that because to, what, what, it, um, what it makes me, uh, the, the, the way that I would describe the psoas from that point of view is that it's, uh, it's really the, the connection transmitter from below to above and back. In other words, if we look at the attachments of the psoas at the, the head of the femur, and then we go up into the lumbar spine, you know, it's spanning from front to back and up to down and from the, the spine to the extremity. So that's a lot of information it's picking up, right? And when the feet and the ankles are moving in gravity, just because when we're vertical, that's what's transmitting the weight coming down and the proprioception coming back up through, it's got to go through the pelvis in order to get to where it needs to go posturally. Mm -hmm. And so what you're describing is uh, the psoas, would, to me, would be that's a, a, a vital transmission line that's communicating. So in order to do that, we need to have a fluid spine, I believe. Yes. And a fluid open pelvis. Yes. A balanced open fluid pelvis with a, a fluid spine so that those ends of the of the psoas can can receive and transmit and you know take motor information back and be in that continual dance all the time. Exactly. And and I think of so as, as a, a pendulum in regard to movement. In other words, uh, rather than think of the spine being carried by the legs, which is the literally the, the biomechanical perception of movement. And you, there used to be books like that that showed the spine and that showed the legs and how the, uh, how, how the legs carry the spine. And surgery is still based on, on that idea that we can you know, limit the spine and be healthy, you know, that we can, um, you know, put cement in the vertebrae, or we can put rods, you know, used to have rods in the spine or the fusion. But if we understood that embryologically, everything comes from the spine out, then we're looking at so as, as a messenger of this axis, this messenger of what we call the primitive streak, that is literally the unfolding of the organism. And Jaap van der Waal, who I got to, uh, is a Dutch embryologist. I don't know if you're familiar yeah. with his work. Yeah, because I know he comes out to, to Colorado and works with uh, some of the Rolfers there. And he, um, he said, your, your, 
the embryo, let me see if I can remember it. The embryo has a, uh, has an impulse to rise up. The human embryo has an impulse to rise up against falling apart. Yes. Yeah, and that to me is standing, right? Yes, and that's totally in line with Ida Rolf, with her, you know, it's, it's completely, to, to my understanding, completely in line with that. Well, that's good. That's good to hear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So I think Ida Rolf. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Say more. Well, I was just going to say, I think Ida Rolf had a lot more awareness than she was able to transmit early on with when she was introducing structural integration, you know? Yes. Um, just that idea, what, what is integration and what is... Right. So what, when we're integrating structure, all parts coming together to work together as one. And um, that was an, an important message she was doing. And that was a very much her, you can see it written, it's, it's against fighting against gravity and fighting against falling apart. And when you have this integration, we have this natural impulse, just like you just said, to become erect yeah. and to, to decompress and get taller. Yes, and, and, to, and to actually allow Earth to support us. So, you know, the ground force reaction, the rebound, the buoyancy in tissue allows us to also stand and, and express and move. And so it's not about us moving through a landscape. It's literally the earth that's, that's has that impulse, you know? Yeah, and that's what I tell people. I say, well, the earth is really a giant tuning board. You know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> And, well, uh, well so, that, so let's talk about the vertical orientation. So you speak to us a little bit about how you perceive, I think the vestibular system is really important in regard to orientation of head or what we call facing. Uh, you talk about the ocular and the respiratory. Those were all vertical orientating. I took some notes when you were talking about it and I might have it you might want to say it a different way, but those ideas of how we tune in. So for example, if I'm always looking down at my phone, it's actually very much disrupting my, pro my skeletal proprioception, the information I get through my bones, through my organization, through relationships, through earth. If you're looking down at your phone, for example, walking. Oh, your phone, yes. Yeah, yeah, something like that, or your feet. Yes. Right, you know, you're, you're you're really actually, in my mind, you know, drawing psoas because you're, you're, you're collapsing into the core rather than being hydrated by the core. But you were speaking of it in terms of this idea of vertical orientation, of the capacity we have through the vestibular system, through these subtle proprioceptive and neurological responses through the ocular, through the eyes, for orientation and then the deeper levels and you also mentioned the respiratory and I thought that was interesting for people to start recognizing that posture isn't about muscles it's about a very different finer quality of relating to earth yeah it's, it's neurologic and fluid I, that's the way I see it Me too. Um, and the structure just supports that the ability for that 
fluid neurology to to happen. And that's why I keep going back to it's a dance. It's always in motion. It's a dance. Yeah. But um, the, the inner ears have a direct communication with the eyes. And there's that um, uh, reflex called the vestibular ocular reflex, which is means there's a very intimate connection between the inner ear and the eyes, wherever they're looking at any given moment. And um, the brainstem and the cerebellum. So they're all in communication, they're all in connection and communicating all the time with all these fine adjustments for one, but every time we make a, a we're, we're in a field of gravity making fine adjustments and we change our orientation and all that information is going in at the same time we're making fine adjustments. So if you start to feel all that motion and all that movement and all that communication and flow of sensory motor uh, information that's going through our, our, our bodies and our being, it really makes a, a whole different perspective on what it means to be vertical. Yes. And, and that leads to me to this idea of psychokinetic, uh, the, the, the expression of body. Because in the, in the Western world, we, we uh, compartmentalize. So our emotions are you know, somewhere. I don't know where they are. You have to go to a psychologist to figure out where your emotions are and you know and then there's your body you know that your doctor and then i don't know where your soul is because the doctor doesn't know where your soul is and the embryological story i like because there is actually a center to your being there is a, a literal axis what's called the midline or the primitive streak or the norticord that develops into what we think of as our spine and and out of that it comes the psoas and so to me, there's literally a center of being uh, that is a biointelligence, that is that ability to relate to gravity and to be shaped by it and to be moved. And movement is expression. And when I met Yap, one of the things that touched me so deeply was he talked about gesture, how the embryo has gestures. So he uses the fist often as his gesture of saying, you know, but a fist can mean all kinds of things. It can be hurrah, you know, we won the game, or it can be, I'm really angry. You know, it has different meanings, but there's gestures. And I was calling them uh, expressions that I started to notice that the core of my being had primal expressions. One of them is to curl, one of them is to arc. And the arcing is to me can go into just standing my ground or actually into a warding off expression, like all animals that get bigger to ward off. And, and so I started playing with what I call primal movement, primal expression, because I found it helped create that fluid spine and it helped create the hydrated, the tenderloin, the filet mignon, which is what so as is. Um, so it's, ju it's juicy. So I'd like you as a psychologist now to weave in some of the things that you've discovered blending these. And I love the fact that you came into Rolfing as, a, as someone who moved, because I think that means huge. It changes everything if you literally love to move and you discovered movement before you discovered uh, form and function and things like that. Right. Yeah. Well, everything you're saying is very interesting. Um, 
<laughs> I mean, what you're talking about, those primal movements, right? Uh, they're connected with the primal reflexes that we start out with that nobody has to tell us how to do just but usually by the end of a couple of years of age their their use is finished and they they go away and unless we really really need them for some reason but uh, many of them are related to what you're we're exploring which is basically the movements of the spine flexion extension rotations and bending and yeah, those the reflexes to begin moving in those ways that the spine is designed to move. And we start practicing them very early and very uh, continually, hopefully. And if we're supported all right in our environment and our relationships and our, in our uh, uh, parenting, then everything proceeds beautifully, right? Yes. And if not, then, well, things get interfered with and we don't get all those uh, ranges of motion and all the perceptions and all the, the, uh, um, the realizations that come along with successful development. Uh, we get hindered, we get blocked in some way or other. And um, so the, the end effect is at some point we we don't really embody as fully as hopefully we, we should, or we were designed to be able to. And that's often what uh, work that we're involved in now helps us to continue to uh, support for people. Right. I, I agree with the, what you're speaking to of the expression of, and you know, one of the expressions I actually work with to maintain or, or actually reconnect, remember, a fluid spine is the lateral seas or the fish motion because of the ancestral relationship of bone to water to ocean its yes. origins to return to that kind of fluid movement which in the western world we don't do oh my gosh i know yeah so there's none of that and so so returning to that but what i love about the verticality is you can begin to feel that expression in the standing you know i do it on the floor i play with it you know wrapping my arms and in the shower allowing the spine to move but but to actually feel the fluidity of our being as we move through uh as we move through our lives to me so as is part of the fear response so if i don't have that fluidity i'm going to have more freeze i'm going to have more fear responses yeah, and it's going to go right into the pelvis, right? The pelvic floor, and um, we're not going to move those pelvises like they're designed to be moved. Yeah. And it's going to have all kinds of implications beyond that. So uh, that's part of uh, the, um, a response to what you were wondering or asking about the psychology part of things. Yeah. What you're describing is, uh, in effect, what I, what I come to see I describe it as a, a, an experience of confidence. Yes. Confidence do we really have in our embodiment, in our human being, you know, being human. How much confidence do we have to be in the world and be vertical and respond and feel? And we lose a lot of that uh, when we don't have these kind of movements that you're talking about, that you're describing. And so a lot of this work, I think, well, it sounds like you're doing, and I know 
I and many others are doing is to remove whatever is blocking that and to open up that uh, capacity to feel that motion again, maybe sometimes for the very first time. And in so doing, uh, restore the confidence in what it means to be here and be embodied. So, so one of the things that I'm pretty adamant about is, and, and kind of challenges, again, the Rolfing model is a palpation of the psoas. And, and I'll just quickly say the reason I have that is because it is so primal and it is part of the uh, reptilian and limbic brain. It really doesn't respond to being palpated. To me, it's like poking a caterpillar. It's like poking a caterpillar, it doesn't make a healthier caterpillar. It does shift things for you know a moment or two, but I always ask people, how long did it last? So I actually want people to access that internally for themselves. It doesn't mean I don't like body work or other people can't support you, but I always encourage people to not go into what is now in the, in the connective tissue world called the neurocore, which has the spinal cord, so as kidneys and adrenals. It's like, that's to me, that's an inner sanctum. That's an inner being that needs to be nourished and needs to be supported, but not manipulated. So yeah, I, yeah. so I love your tuning board because it, it gives us an opportunity to play on something that brings us into this idea of standing as a a lush experience of, of shifting weight or, or experiencing life without um, having somebody try to deconstruct the freeze or the tension or the density. It kind of brings it back alive. And, and its relationship with the brain is kind of what I'm exploring these days on it. It, it really touched me when you spoke about the kind of you know, the mammalian brain and even the neocortex and how, like how we, how we perceive ourselves in the world starts yes. to change by doing the movement. Yes. By just standing on the board. <laughs> well, <laughs> the tuning, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I love it. I love it. It's ingenious. Well, the, like I said, with the tuning board, it, it, um, accelerates and amplifies in yeah. just the right way and the right amount to um, bring more awareness to what you're talking about mm -hmm. in, in, a, in an interoceptive capacity. Yeah. An inner sense of... I want to tell you what I think about proprioception before we... I want to go into consciousness some before we end, but I want to tell you something that I've been thinking, I'd love your feedback on it or just your impression. As I got more into the joints being not only um, telling us about range of motion in, you know, in terms of the skeletal system, informing us about range of motion, I began to understand that they're also what I call eco-locators or locators, that they actually give me information about the sensation of being grounded. Yes. Yeah, landing, what I call landing. And then the locating comes through those kind of subtle shifts. So for example, if the ankle can't glide or the ankle, you know, you, you can't actually get the subtlety of the psoas. 
because you're you're either in the back of the foot, you're in the front of the foot, but you're not actually able to be on the whole foot and then glide and find the place where psoas is no longer engaged. And we use psoas to feel safe. I do believe children learn very early to recruit it as part of the will, will to uh, feel confident enough in the face of danger, in the face of parents, in the face of school, in the face of things where somebody is telling you to stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about, um, you know, or say, don't you dare cry after they've been hit or uh, all kinds of ways that we strategize, even if it's just to be seen or to be seen as those of us, you know, that has parents wanted to, you to show up, you know? So it's about, I think of SOAS as a lot about self-actualization. And, yeah. and to get that confidence, you have to be in your bones. You have to actually start to notice how the bones can help us find ground. And then when you stand on the tuning, yeah, that to me goes challenged by that, right? So speak to I, anything you want to say. I just would love to hear your feedback. Absolutely. It all makes me think of the fluids again, you know? And um, uh, so it's, um, it's a very interesting challenge to talk about structure and as a, as a concept of fluid, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, it's like you're saying the bones have a lot of fluid in them. And even though they're stable, they're, they're porous, mm -hmm. but they also are, are intimately connected with the fascia system. Mm -hmm. And what Ida Rolf was uh, bringing was that the fascia is really a kind of a, a substantive fluid. It's, it, it moves, it changes continually. Um, and uh, that's an important idea to, to me to have. And that has to do with um, this ability for sensing what you're talking about, the fluid part of sensing structure or sensing structure as fluid. So bones have a, a, has a, have a role to play in this tensegrity model and the fascia has this um, role as this fluid, flexible, resilient model. And they're not fixed and attached and rigid in any way. And they, create this certain shape, which is a human form, has it's in gravity designed by design, and the center of gravity is in the pelvis, and exactly where you know the psoas is monitoring all the time. Information from below and above. And uh, so we start uh, with movement of the feet, and we want to have that uh, fluid relationship that can carry up right through the center of gravity and through the pelvis itself. Mm -hmm. So um, that's extremely important to me. And what, how does the pelvis by design move, for example, you know, what are the tilts and the shapes? And as we walk, we, we move through space. If it was unencumbered, how does that pelvis really just do these nice, all these subtle movements if it's free to do them? And by so doing, it's transmitting, having a, a spine where the other attachment of the, the psoas is, and that's always in motion too. Mm -hmm. So all this movement is fluid motion that's happening in gravity with structures. To me, um, carrying that up through the spine and, and into the, uh, where it's picked up in the 
vestibular and the brain stem and the breathing and um, the postural reflexes and the cerebellum, all that, just, just feeling all that motion that's being transmitted up and then a response coming down and it's continual. It just, it just never stops, right? right? And that's just standing. And so we're standing on the tuning board and that becomes a little bit more obvious because it's amplified and accelerated enough so that we feel it in that way. And what I, this all, all, all really, uh, in terms of confidence, what it requires is coordination and integration. Mm -hmm of those, all those structures and all that motion and all that relationship and all our perception of it and how we relate to it and how we may have some gaps in our, in our way of perceiving it. And that's just the whole, that's the whole process in the dance right there. It is a dance. So let's, let's talk about uh, innovation and creativity, because I know, you know, people are focused on trauma and, and, uh, being trauma-informed as a society is important at this point. Um, it's, it's vital for us to understand what people have lived through that shapes their understanding, their perception, my own perception. But I also have this idea that um, as I become more fluid, I, be, I become more innovative. I have more options and that to me creativity is uh i it is the way to metabolize trauma people are tending to want to think that if i get rid of my trauma i will be this innovative creative person but i actually believe it goes the other way around as i play as i can start to play even if it's micro movements and in a way, the tuning board gives that opportunity to simply play on it, to simply not not to not to come up with any conclusions or you know there's there's no goal. There is a way that you're playing with innovation. You're allowing the system to begin to innovate, and in innovation is what I call metabolizing our experiences or integrating them. And it changes my consciousness when I do that. Yes. I think play is one of the primary and essential elements of working with trauma. Yeah. And um, it's not, can't force that on anybody, but we expand the idea of what play is, you know? Yes. Um, and play is just a, a kind of a, in terms of the tuning board, it's a, a freedom of motion that is stimulated by this surface that's moving and stimulating all this motion. And um, we can't avoid it. We, we have to pay attention. It brings us, you know, it brings our, our awareness to it. So what do we do with that? You know, uh, the idea is to, we, to encourage as much play as can be managed in any given moment mm -hmm. and see where it leads us. Yeah. You know? So what have you found with that idea of, uh, of innovation, creativity in your own life? Like, like, how does that shape what you do or how you do it or? Well, it keeps me exploring for one, you know, um, keeps me doing a lot of yoga, which I love. 
because that keeps uh, challenging any perceptions I have of my what I think I'm doing in my body or what I think I am in my body. Um, it keeps showing me that I can be, I can change, my body can change, my mind can change as a result. Mm -hmm. The way I relate to the world and to others or any uh, places where I continue to get uh, habitually conditioned, hung up or prevented from being as free as I'd really like to be. So that's where the play comes. Um, there's a, well, you know what authentic movement is, yeah? Yes. And um, authentic movement to me starts out in a way when we're first listening and we're just being with the movement that we feel is moving us, that, that arises through us. And um, that's just such a beautiful experience to just feel like I'm not making this movement the movement is happening and I'm following it and I'm, I'm just paying attention and it's taking me places where I wouldn't necessarily just go if I just did some volitional thought about going there. Yes. Yeah. And at, at a certain moment, we can interact with that from a volitional point of view. And to me, that's a, one of these beautiful creative polarities where the dance takes on a whole other dimension where the, the movement that's coming through us, through reflexes, through life itself, and then we start adding this or that, a little test here, a little movement there. And we're just, now we have a partnership with the movement of life and whatever our, our notion is at the, at the moment. You know, we're, we're a conscious being that's contributing to this beautiful play of motion that's going on at all times. The co-creativeness of exactly. our ex existence. Yeah. And then just being in that presence, holding those two together and, and moving with it in that way. It's more of the dance, you know. Emily Conrad used to say, you know, we don't move, we are moving. Yes, exactly. And, and yeah, and I've come to, to know that in myself and uh, and to participate uh, one of my favorite ways of participating is often to pause you know even though that movement shows up and i'm following it how often i want to kind of know it i know that i know that movement i know where we're going you know and i and, and to pause in that space all of a sudden often changes and i'm and my own what i call biointelligence takes me somewhere else. And to me, that's the restorative gestures I'm looking for. I'm looking for my own intelligent system that knows how to heal, knows how to coordinate, knows how to organize, um, to write myself in space, to literally guide me, bring me into a, a more coherent state. Yes. Yeah, I love that. To me, that's uh, that's creativity. Yeah, right there. that's play. Play is not something that has a, you don't know where you, there's no winner or loser. There's no goal. It's exactly. an open inquiry. Exactly. And you see. Which takes us to this idea of your tuning board, which I we talked about that as this is both an audio, I'm also going to do it um, on, put it posted on YouTube so people can see what we've been talking about. 
I just want to say, Daryl, you created something that's really very different than anything else that I've played with, whether that is any kind of uh, rubberized ball or uh, bows or you know any of the the balancing uh, devices that often take us into directional movement. It has so it's so much more subtle and refined, and I. I just want to say thank you for designing it. Like it, it speaks a lot to you that you would be looking for something so well, So it's been, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful gift to bring to people. Thank you so much for saying that. And, and my response really is, um, it's just one of those ideas that just came through, you know? Yes. Uh, and um, it came through, I, I say, well, it's gotta be related to something about what I've always felt and known, but also from my dancing and from my uh, training in rolfing and whatever else was contributing at the time. And I'm just grateful to, I'm, I'm as amazed as anybody when I think about what this, this tool is. I mean, it surprises me all the time. So let's um, let's take you into um, exploring it. Will you show us what it is uh, for those of people who are on YouTube? What it looks like and do a little demonstration. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, you want if you want to be able to um, stand on it, I'll also pin you on. Showcasing. Okay. You're going to lift it up. Okay. This is a tuning board right here, just so everybody can see. There's a certain design on the, on the front. I don't know if you can see it. It's like a British flag. It's from, uh, I, I typically describe it as orienting. You know, it shows all the directions. So when we stand in the center, we can see uh, laterally diagonals. We get a sense of the space behind us and in front of us. And then of course, standing vertically, we have this above and below. So we have all the cardinal planes, we have, di we have diagonal directions and we have the, the, the center line. Um, okay, so it's got a responsiveness, but a, but a firm surface at the same time, which to me is crucial. Yes that's the big difference and so it's it's being uh, it's communicating stability and motion at the same time and our relationship to our to our weight and gravity our balance right and left all that proprioceptive feedback going up into the nervous system into the vestibular system into the brain stem and the cerebellum on up into the cortex and the limbic system is also becoming involved, our relationship to how confident we feel when movement of this nature and this um, so, so deeply in us is stimulated and our ability to be with it. So I'm going to go back. I think you can see me. I'm going to pin you so people can, can see you. Yeah. I don't know if you can see my whole. Yeah, I can. We can. So typically I'll have people just stand, not just getting right on, but just standing here. And usually it's behind. 
and just relating to the board, knowing that it's going to be in motion and maybe looking at the design and getting a, a sense of my perception of all those lines and directions and plus this vertical line. Mm -hmm. And now uh, I know the board's going to move. So my nervous system is going to have to make an adjustment on going from a more stable surface to a more unstable surface. Mm -hmm. And my nervous system is going to have to work a little bit for a moment to make that change of state. It's a change of state of the nervous system. So I'm going to go on what I call as a, a refined foot position very carefully. My feet are pointing straight ahead. My heels are lined up under my sit bones. About one third of my foot, each foot is behind this horizontal line. And I'm just gonna stand here for a moment and allow my nervous system to feel what's happening as this tuning board goes into motion. Now, the tuning board will never be not, not moving. You, I, whatever I do, I can't make it stop moving. So <laughs> then I have to, <laughs> I have to be, become, uh, well, I have to consider what it's like. How do I relate to something that I can't make stop moving? Yeah. How do I come to with being in motion all the time? Mm -hmm. And so this is a little bit of uh, amplification and acceleration deep into my nervous system as I just consider and be with that reality. This is happening all the time. It's just how it's being a little bit more evident, showing us a little bit more clearly. Board is always going to be moving. You can move in every plane. I'm playing right now to show the directions it can go. It can go on the diagonal, go straight forward and back, side to side, and then other diagonal. And there's a little bit of this going on as well, a little bit of this up and down. So all the directions are being accounted for. I can try and make it stop, but all I do when I'm trying to make it stop is building a lot of tension in my own body. It doesn't make the tuning board stop moving. <laughs> so again, I have to come back with the idea that I'm in continual motion all the time. So if I make that choice at some point and go, okay, if that's the case, then what does it mean if I allow and just be and go with that movement and see how my organism can be with that flow of motion. Are we still there, Liz? Yes, I am. Okay. So now I'm, I'm allowing it. I don't know if, you locked, if we locked up screens again or not. Yeah, now I can hear you and I can see you. Okay, I'm, I'm being with the motion and I'm, I'm adding a, just a little bit of play, not too much. I'm just so I'm just adding a little play myself. So now I'm having this intimate dance with the motion that's coming through without me doing anything and me just adding a little bit of, I'll try this direction and see what happens and see the response. I can go in any direction I want. And this is talking very deep into my nervous system, into my brain stem, into my pelvis, into my cortex, into the limbic system inner ear and into the into the 
ocular reflexes and they're all communicating with the, the motor system, the cortex, it's all, it's all being engaged. I can make bigger play, just do a simple lift my arms, that changes the state again and see what happens through my nervous system. I can do a little head turn. Well, that changes everything right there. Now I'm orienting over here while the board is moving with me being vertical. I can do head movements and stimulate this vestibular ocular system and the brain stem. I can do any kind of head movements. I'm playing, I'm adding, talking to my own nervous system and seeing how it's responding. Yeah, beautiful. I can do these, uh, these movements, they're a little more challenging, but those ones you're talking about. The know, fish movements, yeah. Movement, side bend. Uh -huh. And go into the pelvis just by bending one leg and the other. And now there's information coming all through, being transmitted from below, trying to go up. Pelvis rotations, tilts. This is all that what you're talking about with psoas information coming through from below and above. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah. And you know, one of the places I see people are so stiff is in their the spine right behind the heart. Absolutely. And yeah. we're cutting that movement up from, from below. So we're starting from below in the pelvis, and then we move up. We can do undulations. Nice. Yeah. And then eventually we'll get it up into the cervicals. Yeah. So then the whole body can start to move. And all the time I'm getting feedback from way down below, my relationship to gravity and verticality, my relationship from my feet to my inner ears, my eyes to my ankles, the whole system, it's all in motion. Right. We can do all the most challenging are gonna be movements that we combine several different angles and directions and head positions. Nice. No. Yes, it's beautiful because I see the connection of the feet up through, you know, the yeah. ear or the jaw or the eye. It's carried all the way. It's always in motion. They don't stop. So right. they're eating it all the time. So wow. even on changing positions, I'm still getting that total circuit. Right. Um, it's like you're growing your nervous system. And that's what happens. Even people, when they just stand and don't do anything, they begin to start to do this because the postural, the postural centers in the brainstem are starting to get stimulated along with other centers in the, the spine and the brain in the brainstem. And that causes this feeling of getting longer and taller. Yeah. And growing confidence. Exactly. <laughs> Confidence being here. Yeah. 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 So that, it's a That's lovely. That's gorgeous. So what I'm going to do now, I'm going to change my state again to a more stable position, which is means stepping off the tuning board. 
and I'm just going to stand and allow my my nervous system to talk to me after it had this nice motion coming from the feet above. So now I'm just going to be, and I can still feel it through yeah. my system. Now my feet want to play with the earth, uh -huh. want to move. I can feel that movement in my knees and my pelvis up and through my chest, my torso behind the heart, through the throat, jaw. And it just carries up and down and around. Yeah. And that's the basic idea. That's so beautiful. Thank you very much for demonstrating it. Yes, sure. My pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah. yeah. I just. That's just some idea. Yeah, that's a good introduction, and and it's visible how how your own system is not freezing on it but responding to it. Exactly. Uh, typically, that uh, when someone gets on and they feel that acceleration and amplification, that's one of the first things they'll do is they'll try and they'll brace up and lock and try and control. And that's great. That's great information. It goes back to what you were talking about before. It's yeah. just material. It's, it's material for a creative process. Yeah. If we can hang on with it long enough and, and move through it and have a change into something different, which is more freedom and more fluidity. Yeah. That's and the I, idea. And I, and I find there's benefit afterwards as well. Um, in terms of how I start to integrate um, the way, way I'm thinking starts to change, even if it's to become aware of something I wasn't aware of, or like it, noticing how my perception changes. Yes. Uh, and my self-awareness changes. It doesn't, it's what do you say? on the board. It's like, that's the integration piece. That's the metabolizing. Yeah, what would you say? the changes. It varies all the time. But, but when I started thinking about it, changing the, um, you know, I think of like our stories and our narrative and, and the ability, uh, going back to somebody like Emily, who would say, you know, your brain is tissue, it's fluid. And if you only move in certain ways, you can't actually have a new thought, you know? <laughs> you know? And so as, as someone who, you know, is interested in creativity, I, I've been playing on it and then just noticing where, what am I noticing? How am I picking up, you know, through my eyes, through my ears, through my nose, through, you know, touch, through taste, through the external sensory system, but then also how I'm, you know, how am I sleeping? What is, what is shifted? What are the, and it's subtle, but it's like, I feel, um, you know, I think it's very much like, like being held by someone, you know, as a child being held and rocked, right? In a way, the tuning point is rocking me. It's, yes. it's nourishing me, you know? And then I'm more capable of showing up in the world. Yes, that movement mimics that essential loving motion. That's why I call the movement on the tuning board a loving motion. It is. Because it's persistent and it's gentle and it's just touches us so deeply. It does. Because yeah. it's not really actually challenging you. It's not trying, it's not a counter action. It's a kind of subtle feel 
that's loving. That's what I call it. Love it. Yeah, which is different than you know push pull, you know Absolutely. action reaction. It's so much more subtle. Yeah, that it's just like holding you in a field of where all those different responses get to just keep evolving, you know, and keep growing. Yeah, yeah it's nice. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really thank appreciate you. that you joined me here to have this conversation. What a pleasure. Thank you so much. I'm glad to finally meet you. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad we had an opportunity to talk. Well, maybe we'll be in the same place at the same time. Possibly. We can <laughs> yeah, never know, right? <laughs> you never know what life's going to bring. That's right. part of the resiliency, because for me, a lot of what I'm doing is building resiliency and exactly. for me you know because i'm older i'm looking at you know at the confusion we have with aging as being something i consider it needing to be separated from drying out and what i know about the psoas now quite literally from a orthopedic surgeon is that he's seeing a lot of dry psoas and I mentioned that to you. And, and you know, when he said it, it's like, I know that I can see it in people's lack of movement. Um, but he's seeing it when he's trying to help people be out of pain and he can't, you know, and I'm thinking these, you know, so whether it's you're talking about health or you're talking about creative ideas or you're talking about envisioning, you know, what gifts you want to bring into the world the innovation is always there, no matter what age you are. So we have to not confuse drying with aging. So to me, it also keeps me, you know, very in the present moment, right? It keeps me more present. So it's great. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So it's great for, you know, everybody. Uh, I think being on the tuning board really, really uh, encourages us to be present. We, yeah. we have to be present on the tuning board because it's in motion. Yeah, I love the fact that you said no matter what you do, it's not going to stop moving. I mean, that's like being on earth. That's like being in life, right? You know? <laughs> so there's a bigger and deeper psychological connection right there. And then we have to ask that, that existential question, of, you know, what does that mean to us yeah. personally, individually? Yeah, because to me, a lot of what people do with their psoas, it was a strategy. And yeah. it, it may have got them here in this moment, but is this really where they want to continue to be? Or do we want to start to play with what is it? And the biggest piece I come up with when I start to work with the ankle and people start to feel the pendulum motion of the psoas that would go all the way from your heart to your foot, as what we call walking. Um, is, is letting go of the upper psoas because that's where the relationship of the diaphragm and the psoas is and where your kidneys are and from Chinese perspective where your will center is. It's like that's been your way of strategizing safety. And the minute people let that go, the first thing they say is it's I feel really vulnerable. Yes. So in a way, building confidence is about being able to be on something like the tuning board and playing with that vulnerability of movement that doesn't allow you to strategize, but you have to actually 
uh, follow and sense and be reshaped by life itself. Yeah, that's beautiful. I agree totally. And I think what 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 you're talking about in terms of um, that movement of the upper part of the the psoas when that's lacking, and I think it is in many people. I think that's why there's such a prevalence of low back pain issues coming up with people because that part of the spine is not in motion not able to move and yeah so that in the heart the back of the heart the longing uh i work with longing uh the expression of longing that does you know and people have cut their longing off but the whole organism is an organism of longing you know whether that's how we embed into our mother's womb or how our Philly of our intestines go out and get what it needs, or you know, we root for the breast, you know, to bring in something we've never even tasted, which is mother's milk. You know, it's like the organism has this desire to flourish. And so my work is really about how do we how do we support the capacity for us to thrive and flourish, not just simply survive. And I just, I mean, and I to me, what you just described, that's that's the existential question, right? That's the piece right there. And that's what it comes down to. And when that's part of the nervous system that we're touching into with the tuning board is exactly that level. That. Yes. What do I long for? Yeah. How do I be here and what do I long for? And, you know. And how do I show up fully? Exactly. And what's possible, right? Yes, and what's possible? And that's the innovative piece. Yes. Yeah, yeah. and you know, I, I, I love the concept that innovation can only really happen when we can, uh, can move away from homeostasis. You know? yeah. yeah. Instead of like, oh, I've got to stay safe here and then I'll innovate. No, you actually have to have enough resiliency to challenge homeostasis. Well, that's what, yeah, the whole thing with movement is it's about play is right. It is <laughs> the unknown. Go away so you can come back and then go away again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's well, great. This has been great. Thank you so much. I've so enjoyed being with you. It was a real treat. Yeah, Liz, I, I really hope we uh, meet sometime in person. Yes, me too. All righty. Bye. All right. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye.